Sean, can you come up and, and let's read the passage? If you will stand uh, with us as we read God's word. And we are in Revelation 14 today. Good morning, church family. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out, of came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape heart 
grape harvest of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress, as high as a horse's bridle, for 1,600 stadia. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass, with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, John. <clears throat> Church, pray with me. Father, we come to your word humbly um, to just sit underneath your word and to allow it to have its effect in our lives. Uh, Spirit, we, we pray that you would open up our eyes this morning that we might see and our ears that we might hear and then help us to obey. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, how are you enjoying our study through the book of Revelation since January so far? Are you being challenged and are you being encouraged? I, I hope you are. And we've got another easy passage today, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Darren. <clears throat> um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, I'll use, and Darren's used the Avengers, and I'm going to use it too, the Avengers Endgame, um, the movie, you know, the Marvel movie. And, you know, you're sitting there, and you're watching the movie, and, you know, you're, you're, you've got your bucket of popcorn, right? And you're, you're eating popcorn, and it's dripping with butter because you've pumped that, you know, butter dispensers about 50 times, right? And you're, you're involved in the movie, there's action going on, and characters are being introduced into the movie and into the plot line, and these characters have plot uh, stories that come from another movie, and in those movies there are, um, you know, they're arch enemies, and then they're in the movie that you're watching, and you're trying to figure out, like, what's the relationship between all of these characters, and what are the powers that they have, and, like, the CGI is just awesome, right? But you're like, what is actually going on? What's the end game? You know, what, what is the overall plot of the story? I, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but sometimes when I watch those Avengers movies, I get lost in it all. And so I don't know if you feel like that when it comes to where we are in the book of Revelation, because we are knee-deep into the book. And so you've got, like, this beast coming out of the sea and a beast coming out of the land, and you've got a dragon chasing a woman, and it's eating you know, it's pursuing a child, and you've got scrolls being opened, you've got seals being broken, and you've got trumpets blowing, and you've got angels going in and out of the altar, and the numbers, right? 144,000, 
you know, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, and then sevens all over the place. I know my mind is just like going, you know, just blowing up because trying to keep track of what's going on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get so caught up in the numbers and the imagery and, and what, you know, what do these things mean? Is it literal? Is it figurative? You know, has this prophecy already been fulfilled? Is it future? Is there a near-term fulfillment? Is there a far-term fulfillment? That I forget kind of God's story through it all. And so today, what I want to do is just take a minute to go back and remind us of the message of the book that we find in Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3. Because this really sets up um, what we're going to be speaking about today, what I'm going to be sharing with you. And I want you to remember the exhortation that was given to John by the angel that was sent by God. And so let's look at Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so we're reminded the purpose and the goal of this vision is to reveal Jesus Christ in all of his glory and to exalt him. And, and here we are exhorted that if we read aloud the words of this prophecy and if we hear it and if we keep it or observe it and obey it, that we will be blessed. And so as, as we start today and we work through chapter 14 and, and part of 15, I want you to keep that passage in mind. And I, I want you to, to kind of look through the lens of, of that passage because I think there's something here today that God wants us to hear from his word and then to keep and to obey. So Darren has shown us over the last you know, several weeks that there is this cosmic war that is raging, right? Both on earth and, and in the heavenlies between the one true God and the devil, who is the dragon, the evil one, and his cohorts, the two beasts. They're fighting over the lives and the souls of those that, who have been made in God's image. And I believe in this chapter, one of the key verses to helping us understand chapter 14 and then kind of putting a cohesiveness to, channel, to uh, chapters 12 to 14 is found in verse 4, speaking about the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. And, and here's what it says, verse 4. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, we're going to deal with the first half of that verse later, but I want you to focus in on the last half of the verse. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. You know, we live in a culture of following, right? I mean, people follow, you know, their, their 
favorite influencers. They follow sports stars and sports teams, and they follow musicians. They follow their favorite social media personality. And for, for us as Christians, we follow like pastors and, and teachers. But why do we follow? Why do we follow these people? You know, sometimes people want to be like them. They want to, you know, experience the things that they experience. They want to eat at the restaurants that they recommend. They want to buy the products that, you know, they're, they're promoting. In a sense, they, they want to be like them. And so the Bible has a name for this type of following. It's called being a disciple, discipleship. And we saw in chapter 12 and 13 that the goal of the dragon and the two beasts is to cause those who dwell on the earth to follow and to worship them. And if you remember that phrase, those who dwell on the earth, that is a representative in the book of Revelation of unbelievers. So for those of us who follow the Lamb, we want to be his disciples, to think like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus has commanded us to do, and then, of course, to worship him. And the question for all of us is not whether we're going to be a follower or a disciple. The question is, who or what are we going to be a follower or a disciple of? Because whatever we follow, whatever things we follow, those are the things that shape us, those are the things that form us, and then those are the things that we participate in. And just as there is an end goal of why we follow someone on social media, there is an end goal in this chapter of those who follow the beast and the dragon and those who follow Christ. So chapter 12 and 13 show that there's been a a war raging on between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And, And that's what You know, our kids have been learning in VBS this week that there are two kingdoms. And we saw last week in chapter 13 that there is um, the the kingdom of the evil one counterfeits the kingdom of God because he wants to deceive and he wants to entice those who dwell on the earth to follow him and to worship him. Those who dwell on the earth are then marked by the name and the number of the beast— So here at the beginning of chapter 14, we see again the 144,000 that had been sealed in chapter 7. Again, there are varying interpretations of what the 144,000 represent. You know, it might be like ethnic Jews that come to faith in Christ, or it might be believers from all tribes and nations and tongues that follow Christ. But regardless of what position you take, They are the ones that are redeemed from the earth. They are the ones who have conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. And here, I want you to to notice, though, the characteristics of the 144,000. They are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And we're going to take a look at some of those characteristics. Because we know from the Gospels that whenever Jesus invited people to follow him, and they actually did follow him, they were called his disciples. So let's take a look at at some of these characteristics in chapter 14. 
Okay, so the first one, the first characteristic, is that they bear the name of the Lamb and their Father's name. They bear the name of the Lamb and their Father's name. So remember last week in the message, those who, who follow the bees and who worship are marked by the name of the bees and the number of its name, which is 666. Now, I, I know there's been... Uh, a lot of time and, and speculation spent by believers and scholars on, you know, what does 666 represent? What does it mean? You know, how do I not get that number marked on me? And I, I like what um, uh, Daniel Wallace, who is a, uh, a Greek professor, what he has to say about this number. And he says that um, he, he's a, a Greek New Testament scholar, and what he does is he uh, looks at manuscripts, Greek manuscripts and fragments, and then he takes them and he digitizes them so that we don't lose these documents. And here's what he says. He says that the oldest Greek um, New Testament fragment of Revelation 13 at verse 18, it says that the number of the beast is 616. The number of the beast is 616. Now, he also says that most Greek scholars would agree because of the, the wealth of manuscript and the manuscript evidence that it actually reads 666. So maybe 616 is the neighbor of the beast? You know, he kind of lives down the road from the beast? But most scholars believe that 666 is that number. So you know, you'd hate to live in that neighborhood, right? 616 and 666. Might this number be some type of, of literal marking? Possibly. But I believe that this is more likely a, a spiritual marking that is a sign of ownership and representation. So let me give you a couple reasons why. We'll, we'll take a look at a couple verses. But there's a great book that uh, I read a couple years ago it's called Bearing God's Name by Carmen Imes. And this is what she says in the book. This is the point that she makes. In Exodus 28, where it describes like the garments, the priestly garments, and, and uh, the various parts of the garment and how they're made, there's one item that was a plate of pure gold that was on the front of the turban of, of Aaron's head. And here's how it reads in Exodus 28 verses 36 to 38. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So engraved on this plate is the Hebrew word, la Yahweh, which means belonging to the Lord. And so the priests belonged to the Lord, but they also represented God to the people. And so they were marked by God. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4-8, which is known as the Shema. Because we see the marking of the hand and the forehead here in this passage. It reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. And so some translations say it shall be on your forehead. So Moses told the Israelites this before they went into the promised land, that they were to be so infused with God's word that it permeated the way that they thought, the way they viewed the world, how they saw things, and then that would be enacted in the way that they lived their lives and what they did. You know, maybe we should uh, emulate the Israelites, right? And instead of spending so much time trying to figure out what 616 means, we would actually spend more time getting the Lamb's name and the name of his Father on our hands and forehead. And what I mean by that is by getting God's Word so into us that we think the way Jesus thinks, that we view the world through the lens of Scripture, and then that we love people and we do things in the name of the Lord. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.13, And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. We see this mark in the seal was a sign of ownership. This spiritual marking now becomes visible in chapter 14 as John sees the 144,000 standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion who have the Lamb's name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. So those who follow the Lamb bear the name of the Lamb and their Father's name, and those who follow the beast are marked and owned by him. The second characteristic is that they worship him. In 14.3 we read, And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they were singing this new song because they had been, re been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And in Revelation 15:2, we see that they were singing the song of Moses, who led the first Exodus out of Egypt and bondage and slavery to Pharaoh, and they also sing the song of the Lamb who leads to second exodus and freedom from the bondage of sin and slavery to sin. They can sing because they had conquered the beast and its image. We're told in Revelation 12, 11 that they conquered the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love their lives even unto death. And so they conquered the same way that the lamb conquers. You see, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died to conquer sin and death. And we conquer in the same way because we are covered by his blood. And we're enabled to die, enabled to, die to ourselves and this world. 
And sometimes that means losing our physical life. You know, we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, there's a number of martyrs. And we know that in the 21st century, there have been probably more martyrs that have been more Christians that have been killed for the faith than all the centuries combined. And when you look at the culture and where things are going, who knows? Maybe we're called to someday physically die. But on a daily basis, we are called to die to ourselves. We're called to die to our flesh. We're called to die to the world. And we're called to die to the evil one. And when we do that, we're enabled to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as an act of worship to God. Romans 12.1, you're familiar with this passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So those who follow the Lamb worship him, but those who follow the dragon are made to worship the beast. Third, they held allegiance to the Lamb and were faithful to him. Verse 4 says that they have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. So this does not mean that they were physically chaste or that somehow women, there's something inherently wrong with women and to be with them makes you unclean. I mean, we know that for a fact, right? Because in the creation narrative, when God created Adam, he saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and so he created a helper for him, a woman. And then he said it was very good. This type of language that the redeemed are virgins was used to describe God's people in the Old Testament. Yahweh was their maker, and he was also their husband, and they were to remain pure like virgins. But we know from from Israel's history that they prostituted themselves, they worshipped other gods and, and other false idols instead of being faithful to Yahweh. Then the people of God in the New Testament, the church is described in Ephesians as the bride of Christ, and Jesus is our bridegroom. And we are called to be faithful to him and not to run to other lovers, but to be faithful to him and to him only. We are not to compromise with the world system or its enticements. Christ, in return, gives himself up so that he might sanctify us, his bride, and present us holy and without blemish. That's why the 144,000 are described as having no lie found in their mouths and blameless. So those who follow the dragon and the beast have their allegiance to them and all they represent, but we have allegiance to the Lamb. Fourth, they proclaim the gospel. And I believe this is represented by the three angels that we see. As we know, angels are messengers in Scripture, and we actually have the book of Revelation because God sent an angel to his servant, John, to explain to him and to tell him the things that must soon take place. And so here we have these three angels who have a message that seems to be like a progression of the gospel, 
The first angel has the message of the eternal gospel that should be proclaimed to those who dwell on the earth. And remember that phrase, those who dwell on the earth are unbelievers who follow the, the dragon and the beast. The second angel gives the message that Babylon, which is representative of the world and all of its systems throughout history, stand in opposition to God and his people have fallen. And that might be political system, social economic system, spiritual systems. And we're going to see in Revelation 18 that those who dwell on the earth and put their hope in the things of this world and all that it represents are going to collapse. The third angel gives the message that judgment is coming to those who follow and worship the beast and its image. So put the three together. Okay? The eternal gospel is proclaimed to all those who dwell on the earth. This world is passing away and judgment is coming. So fear God, give him glory, and worship him, says the angel. And isn't that what we should be doing as his followers, as his disciples proclaiming the gospel? Remember again in, in the first part of Revelation, if you hear these words and if you keep them and if you obey them, you'll be blessed. We are to go and, and make disciples. And just like the, the 144,000, those of us who have been redeemed, we're not redeemed for ourselves. God saved his Old Testament people, the Israelites, so that they could be a light to the nations, that they could be a kingdom of priests to proclaim him against all the false gods of the other nations. In the same way, God saves us, those of us who are in Christ, the church. He calls us to be a royal priesthood that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so as those of us who claim to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, we are to proclaim the gospel, the eternal gospel, and make disciples as we follow Jesus in the places where we work, where we go to school, you know, the places where we frequent, restaurants that we eat at, the gyms that we go to. We're to carry him and follow him wherever he goes. And so church, how, how well are we doing that? How well are we doing that? I mean, just speaking personally, I don't do that well. And so we need to be cognizant of what the Lord has called us to and how we're representing him with our lives and proclaiming the gospel. Is it any wonder that, that John in his first epistle, in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John knew the allurements of Babylon and that it might entice us to compromise. So he concludes in verse 12, a call to endurance. 
endure by keeping the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. Endure by obeying the command to proclaim the good news and to be his disciples and to make disciples. Endure in your obedience by not being seduced by the things of this world. Endure to eternal life so that you might be blessed and find rest from your labor. For to not endure is to be consumed by God's wrath. Church, are you hearing God's word this morning to you? You'll be blessed if you keep it and if you obey it. These are the things that God is calling us to. So what's the end game? What's the end goal of following the lamb versus following the dragon and the beast? We see the end goal is we will either be with Christ or we will not be. And that's what we see here at the end of chapter 14 because there's going to come a day of harvest. The first harvest is one where like the son of man will come with a sickle and he will harvest the earth and the earth will be reaped. In the scriptures, the harvest was representative of the ingathering of the good crops. The other harvest that we see is the harvest of judgment where the ingathering of grapes are thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. So those who follow the dragon and bear the mark of the beast will get what they always wanted, and that is a life independent of God and without Jesus' lordship and his kingship over their lives. They will experience the full strength of God's wrath. And we have no idea how offensive our sin is to a holy and to a just God. Someone who is perfect and is without sin. And it says here that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and they will have no rest day or night. And I can't imagine what it must be like to have no rest day or night forever and ever. What, what must that be like to have no relief or rest? No wonder why the angel, the first angel, said his message loud with a loud voice. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. And it's, it's interesting to note that those who are gathered as part of the ingathering of the grapes of God's wrath come from the vine of the earth. And I think what that means is that they find their comfort and they find their source of life from the earth. In contrast to that, John recorded in the 15th chapter of his gospel, Jesus' word that those who abide in the true vine will bear fruit and they will prove that they are my disciples. So church, where are we finding life? Are we finding it in the things of this world and what it has to offer? Or are we finding it in the only one that can provide true life, both in this world and the world to come? Where are we finding life? You see, there, there are only two kingdoms. We, we've mentioned that a couple times. There are only two kingdoms. You are either marked by the beast or you are marked 
by the Spirit of God. You are either owned by the dragon or you are owned by the living God. You either have allegiance to the beast or you have allegiance to King Jesus. You are either a citizen of Babylon or you're a citizen of the city of God. You can't have both. You can't have your foot in both worlds. This chapter doesn't allow for that. There is a clear choice that has to be made, and it demands a response from all of us. If you don't follow the Lamb, here's the end game. Here's the end goal. And we've seen it already, and we've read it. He will give you over to yourself. You will experience his wrath. And you will get all that you ever wanted without Jesus. Roman tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we saw that in the videos last week, remember? That there are men that are suppressing the truth and twisting the truth to meet their own lifestyle and to support the things that they want. So God, it goes on in Romans, so God gives man over to the lust of their hearts, envy, murder, deceit, lies, unnatural relationships with others, just to name a few. The full strength of the wine of God's wrath has not yet been poured out, but it will be. According to the third angel, the full wrath is going to be poured out eventually. So if you aren't currently following the Lamb, how are you going to respond today? And not responding is a response. What keeps you from trusting and following him? Who owns you? Who or what do you show allegiance to? How are you marked? Because life and death are are literally at stake in how you answer that question. For those of us who, who follow the Lamb, we know the end goal is that we will be in his presence. But the question that we're confronted with is, how will I follow? How will I follow? Are are you going to casually follow him and just give him allegiance, you know, wherever it feels right, whatever you feel like? And are you just going to add him to your life and just follow him as long as he doesn't impinge upon your creaturely comforts? and your security? Or will following him consume every aspect of your life and be costly because he is king and he deserves nothing less than your all? How will you follow See, the the end game is not a game at all. It's a call to costly discipleship. 
a costly discipleship of following him. And the question is, what are we willing to risk to follow him? What are you willing to risk to follow him? Because if we really believe that the end goal and the end reward is that we're going to be in his presence, is it really a risk if we believe what his word says? That we will be in his presence? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return of his, for his soul? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to bear his name, to lose our life so that we might find it in Jesus. So let me ask you, how are you living in light of what John reveals to be the true reality of the nature of the end game? How it's going to turn out? Because God doesn't call us to himself just for ourselves. He calls us to something greater. He saves us to participate in his kingdom, in what he's doing in the world. And so how are you responding to this invitation to actively participate in the war against evil and against the beast? So the, the harvest that's described here, we know, hasn't happened, right? Because it's, it's at his second coming and we're all still here. So it hasn't happened yet. So there's still time to respond to these questions. There's still time to respond, who or what am I going to follow? And for those, those of us who follow the Lamb, how will I follow? How am I going to follow Him? But my question is, how much time do we really have? How much time do we really have? Because we don't know when He's coming back. But the reality hit me this past week as I, as, we, as I was preparing for this that the end game comes for each one of us when we die. So then we'll either be with Christ or we will be without Christ. And, and there were a couple news stories in, in this past couple weeks. One was um, a gentleman who was 82 years old and he was offloading a forklift, and it tipped, and it fell on him, and he died. Then there was another story about a 52-year-old man who was in a bulldozer, and he was doing some work around a man-made lake, and the bulldozer went into the lake, and he was trapped inside the cab and could not get out for an hour and ended up drowning. Were they following Jesus? I have no idea. But those things happen every day. People die every day in car accidents, whether they're old or they're young. I mean, every night it seems like I, I hear a news story of someone dying. Now, I do know someone who is following Jesus and who followed Jesus well her whole life. And her end game was a homecoming. And we're going to have a memorial service for her tomorrow. Her name is Barb Buckingham. 
And I know that she is more fully alive now than she has ever been in her, in her whole life. And she is now resting from her labor in the presence of her Savior. I know that to be a fact. So these are the questions that each of us are confronted with today. And so let me just have you bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And I, I want you, as you're sitting there, I want you just to think through and, and to listen and, and to hear these questions and to let them just sink deep down into your heart as, as you ponder these questions. If you're not following Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question honestly. What keeps me from trusting and following the Lamb? What's keeping you from trusting and following the Lamb today? And who are you or what are you following? Who are you marked by? And, and where do you find life? If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to ponder these questions. How am I following? Really, how, how am I following? Am I following wholeheartedly? Or just half-heartedly? Am I looking to other things to find life instead of where life is truly found? What am I looking to as the source of life? So the implications to how you answer these questions are, are just massive and they're so far-reaching. And so the question for you today is, how will you respond to these questions?